I'm Sam Mitchell. These are my stories. Hi, folks. Have a good day today. Let me be the first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we get a messed up, I am not a doctor psychiatrist. If you're starting to be diagnosed with autism, please see a physician. At least we have some of my experiences. I also own the right to the intro and outro. They are found on philradio.com and ytmp3.com. They also have missions to emulate review with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions and manning or disabilities. People on the spectrum are not broken. They do not need to be fixed. Those that conditions or those rocks to be pitied, there's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some people I like to thank. First, I must thank my latest guest, Kane, or as Knott County, Tennessee might know him as Mayor Glenn Jacobs. As C242 surrounded in the fire with Kane or Mayor Glenn Jacobs, more information. But what a great guest. Thank you for your time, Kane. On a personal note, I have officially started at Vincennes University. Everyone, please wish me luck on expanding my knowledge on broadcasting. I have made two connections I need to mention. First is James Brown voiceover, known as not the singer James Brown, but James Brown for the United Kingdom instead. Give your target audience a cause to pay attention to you and recognize you while you are advertising your product or engaging with them. He has years of expertise narrating stories to a range of audiences as an accomplished international journalist, and he does so with a nice, realistic British-English accent and an actual R-P, received pronunciation accent. Audiences rely on him to deliver the latest developments, and now business make use of his skills as an actor who speaks to advertise their brands, draw in investors too, develop staff members, and other things. Next is Amber Sanchez, who I met back in July during the 2023 Making Schools Work Conference. I talked to Amber Sanchez earlier this week from Full Sail University, a university I considered enrolling in. The emphasis of the on-campus and online degree programs at Full Sail University is the expanding media and entertainment industries we offer individuals, courses, course stacks, associates, bachelors, and graduate degrees through Full Sail DC3, an online short-form educational experience with a digital focus. Real-world professional experience and innovative problem-solving on the focus point of Full Sail's mythology. Keep on looking to see if we do any more work with these two. It is true that we will be doing more collaborative work with Special Needs Living Magazine in Indianapolis, Indiana. They decided to feature me in their magazine, but I spoke with Darlin Jones on Wednesday to prepare for my appearance in the Special Needs Living Magazine. On that same Wednesday, we worked with Christy on a photo shoot. What they had done for me is appreciated by us. I made two radio station appearances to advertise our Summerfest. First, I appeared on the Talk of the Town segment on 105.5 Bedford, Indiana. Then we traveled to Bloomington, Indiana, where we got interviewed by 96.1 The Query. I enjoyed myself and picked up some broadcasting knowledge. I want to express my gratitude to Kent Sterling and Sarah Turpin for hosting us. Speaking of our Summerfest, it conquered. Great music made it a pleasant time. I would also like to extend our gratitude to Max Shear, Y'all Access Band, as well as the headlining act, Duke Tomeo, for playing on Perry and Renee Fowler's property. You all wowed the crowd. Finally, we want to thank everyone who attended and helped out. We are so appreciative of your support. I did get invited to attend the 1 in 36 virtual summit. Despite the fact that I was unable to attend, I was able to present a podcast interview to attendees. Sarah Bradford deserves extra praise for inviting me. I returned to the group for the Zoko Speed Networking event as well. I did recognize some previous acquaintances, but there were also some new ones too. And since the last episode, I've been on several podcasts. I was on the Entertainment Man podcast with Chris B., Find Your Spark podcast with Chad Hudson, along with his co-host Maury, my Blurred Opinion podcast with Timothy West, Become a Podmaster podcast with Ethan Byer through Byron Media, and Almost Naked Conversations podcast with Sebastian Wong through Intentional Dream Maniac TV. What great podcast, everyone. Now, folks, we'll be right back right here at Athens, the barn on Maryland Ridge, so let's get to it. 
There is a hidden gem in eastern Greene County, folks. Fowler's Pumpkin Patch and the barn on Maryland Ridge Wedding Barn. Autism Rocks and Rolls is very proud to tell you about our friends, Perry and Renee Fowler, and their place of business. Both Fowler Pumpkin Patch and the barn on Maryland Ridge is a relaxing drive approximately 15 minutes from the heart of Bloomington, Indiana, and an hour south of Indianapolis. You can find them at 5347 South Greene County Line Road, Bloomington, Indiana, 47403. The property has numerous picture locations including several rolling fields, antique tractors, red and rustic barns, trees, and much more. Customized wedding packages are offered on their website. The surrounding area also provides several hotels in which to have your guests stay for your destination wedding. Also, Fowler's Pumpkin Patch is a family-owned and operated seasonal pumpkin patch. It's the perfect place to take your family for some fall fun. Enjoy picking out pumpkins, hay rides, a corn maze, and a petting zoo. Call the Fowlers today at 812-327-4895 or 812 Five sixty twenty-two. All right, folks, are back, and yes, you'll definitely hear the words I do at this wedding barn. Today, I have Colby Stamper, better known as the Autistic Cowboy, with me. Born in January 1996 in Texas, he is currently 27 years old and didn't know he was on the autism spectrum until he was 17. Raised in a very small rural town, currently in Austin, Texas, life has been a struggle, but he still has a fulfilling life with the job. He has been creating content since 2015 in the form of videos, streams, etc. Stanport is a self-published author of two books and is working on novels as well. He also has a theater and acting background and went to college for it for two years. I'd like everyone to please join me in giving a big Texas welcome to the autistic cowboy or the man behind the channel, Colby Stamper. Mr. Stamport, how are we doing, my friend? Doing good. How about yourself? I'm all right, buddy. So my first question to you is, what does having autism mean to you? Oh, what does it mean? That's a good question. It's funny you ask a question like that, because <laughs> it's one of those nebulous questions that my brain, you know, when we say, what does it mean to you? It's like, oh, it could mean so many different things. It could mean the definition. In my experience, at least when I explain it to people who are unfamiliar, the best way I put it is it's a communication disability. That helps them understand it, because when I try to get in everything, like what it means to me, even though I, I seem to be well-spoken, as they say, I have trouble communicating. Communicating, even through writing. Writing is a weird one because you don't have all the sounds and the context. The way it affects me is it makes the world harder to navigate, but also I don't know if I would change it because I like the way that I see the world. I see the world differently. Well, let's go into that a little bit. What do you see differently than others? I'm able to pick up on patterns better, but I view the world, I see a lot of illogic. I see many things that's like, that's not right. This shouldn't be done this way. And it's like, well, we do it because it's always been done this way. We do it because that's what we're told to do. It's like, but if we could do this, it would benefit everybody benefit the owner the workers everybody but at the end of the day they don't care <laughs> that's what i've found it's one of those weird things it's you can look out in the world and you can see a bunch of things that need to be changed and i often view solutions and no one really wants to hear the solutions it's kind of hard to deal with i suppose but it's not just a robotic mind that i view the world and you know i have a a lot of compassion. People wonder, it's like, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And it's like, I don't like seeing people get hurt. And sometimes when I do my job or any of the many jobs that I've had, it feels like someone's getting hurt. I'm always thinking about the individual and also the greater world and the people. It's hard to just focus on like doing the task when I know what the outcome of a task will be. Right. You're, you're going to be a tarot card reader almost. And you're like, this isn't going to end well, but there's nothing you can do about it. In a sense. Yes. 
Or I could do something about it if I just didn't do the thing. I'm always thinking several steps ahead. I don't want to do anything that can negatively impact people if I'm aware. If I'm not aware and it hurts people, that's also a pain, but I wasn't aware. It's an accident. It's something that was not intended. Whereas if I do something and I know it, but it's part of a job and it's like, well, this, I don't feel right. It's like when you have to be like a salesman, it's like, you know, you're kind of getting one over on people, but that's what they tell you to do. That hurts. Thankfully, I don't really have to do that in my current job. You're right. Salesmen are the friendliest people, but they're also the worst people alive because they want something from you and they're not talking to you because they want to talk to you. They're forced to talk to you. I feel like I could be a great salesman, but in a way that's like, I'm selling you a product that I believe in. I'm not just going to do it because I'm told to do it. It's like, if I'm going to sell you something, it's because I believe in it. Like I'm a gamer. That's a lot of people are surprised by, by my looks. And forgive the free, frizzy hair, it's currently like 105 degrees right now. The heat's getting to us here in Austin. People hear my accent, see the looks, and like, that guy's a huge nerd. It's like, yeah, absolutely. So if I'm trying to sell you an Xbox, the Xbox Series X, it's because I believe in that product. I love playing it, but if I'm just selling a random product I know nothing about or don't even like, then I am reluctant to do that. If you're like, I don't have the money, and that's where I just stop. And I'm like, all right, you know, I have money, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to try to like keep getting you when I know that and everybody's hurting right now. Now, what were your initial thoughts when you learned that you had autism? That's 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> oh, you slept since then, right? A little bit. Uh, not much. It was like 16 or 17 when I first found out. My doctor had diagnosed me prior, but didn't tell us. So that was weird. Finding that out just slipped their mind. They were really busy. I remember a sense of calm because before so many things were going wrong. So many things were happening and I just couldn't explain them in my head. I thought it was crazy. And some people are worried about getting a diagnosis of anything because then that means that, especially when it does with mental illness, because that means that they are crazy. And the way that I see it is, no, that means that there is something going on, which means it can be helped and it can be fixed. Doesn't mean that you're helpless. Doesn't mean that just, oh, well, you're screwed when there's nothing you can do and it's all your fault. Because before it was like, you're lazy, you're this, you're that, it's all your fault. Where it's this, it's like, no, it's not. There's actually something going on here. And you just have to learn how to approach the world differently. You've got problems, but we're okay. Being diagnosed with autism, even if I was diagnosed with something like schizophrenia, I would have felt good. Why? Because there are treatments. It's not something that's your fault because before it was put on me like this is your fault where it's like, no, it's not your fault. And also we can do this, 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 and oh, you, what you're having is a meltdown. That's what that is. So let's try to help it instead of, well, yeah, go over there in the corner. <laughs> There's something that can be done. You can live, especially at that age I was at where I was looking at a future and it's like, what is the future? Exactly. And there are tons of people out there, Colby, who live well with mental health issues. Just because, as you said, you got schizophrenia does not mean you're going to be a serial killer. I have lots of thoughts on mental health because I've had to deal with a lot of it. I also have a CPTSD complex. Post-traumatic stress disorder wasn't, wasn't bad enough, right? I had to make it complex. I thought the first one was pretty complex, but whatever. And POTS, which is not a mental health disorder. It's something to do with your heart. It's not cardiovascular, but it is. It's a weird one. Basically stand up real fast and you'll fall down. <laughs> That's one of the main side effects. But that often a lot follows autism. There's a lot of weird disorders, both mental and physical, that follow autism. It's interesting because since I've learned what it is when I was 16 or 17, all I've done is research. That is in betterment of myself and better understanding of the condition, but also to help others. Because despite not having as much success as you have had, congratulations. I have tried to, the whole reason of building this personality that I've had and doing the channel content to help like well yeah but you're vulgar and you stay make stupid jokes and all that well how's that helping people 
one, on the surface, that makes people laugh. That's helping them get away from the world out there. But two, my name is the Autistic Cowboy. I'm not hiding who I am. It's a very literal name. What do I look like? I look like a cowboy. I'm also autistic. I'm in Texas. So you can you make that full circle. I'm trying to let people like, hey, we're real people. We can be fun. We can be weird. I'm one of those that seems to be, quote unquote, well-spoken. But there's nothing wrong with not being well-spoken. There's nothing wrong with being mute or being nonverbal. People need to know the differences in autism and this spectrum that we have. We're not locked in a cage somewhere to be like put away and not talked about. I don't understand why people treat us or any mental illness like that. It's very strange. First of all, thank you, know, you for the success and, uh, compliment. I appreciate that. The downloads mean nothing to me almost. I'm thankful for them. I wouldn't say like, oh, they suck. I probably want to be where I am today without them, but I'm not doing it for the fame. I'm doing it because I want to do some good for the world. Yeah, the way I see it, because I originally was tried to be an actor, which I was very good at, because go figure, someone that has to spend their life mimicking and mirroring and masking and pretty good at acting, putting themselves in other people's shoes. I like the streaming and the content creation on YouTube because I get to entertain and I also get to play video games, get to do stuff. A very small amount of people right now hopefully get to figure. People say you don't care about the money. Me personally, I do. Not because I want to be rich and famous, but because I have bills to pay. <laughs> I haven't really made any money off of this since 2015, like zero. And outside of some friends donating here and there, I keep doing it because it feels good and I want to entertain people. And if I can make one person laugh, one person's day get better, I've had people come in and talk to me about autism in the chat and be like, hey, this is happening, this up, and I've been able to help some people. I'm also a person of faith. I'm not going to get too much into that here. I know that's not what the podcast is about. But the way that I've put it, as this is both in autism and my faith, is if I became a billionaire, I would spend all my time trying to get rid of that money because I don't need very much to live. The dream is to have all of your needs met. I don't understand these people that want a jet. I want my water bill to be paid. I want my electric bill. All my needs are met and I'm eating and everything's good. And if I have a family they're all taken care of, then I don't care. Then the rest of that money gets spent on helping people, investing in charities, doing everything that I could. And keep doing that because I believe that's what I'm on the earth to do. We're here to help each other. I like nice things, but there's only so many things, right? And also, in the grand scheme of it, my things are cheap. I like video games. So it's like people out here buying buildings and planes and stuff like that. It's like, I want an Xbox. <laughs> and it's like the new Xbox. All right, give me that. Oh, a new Nintendo console. Okay, that's what, $800 maybe? I'm nowhere near that at all. That's what I'm constantly thinking about, whether I'm writing a book, whether I'm making a video, doing a stream. And then by doing this, what does it do? It highlights that, hey, autistic people are people trying to highlight autistic voices because by one of us getting up there, it shows the world that all of us can be like this. That, hey, we're not like those people you see on the TV shows that are being portrayed by people who have no idea what, what autism is. I don't understand that. There's plenty of autistic actors and they're like, no, let's get this guy that has never seen an autistic person. <laughs> I don't understand that. It'd be so easy just to hire the person. It's not like there's a shortage of us. There's a lot of people out there who are actors. Dan Aykroyd, I mean, that's a big name for you right there. He found out a lot later in life. It's interesting the way the world looks at us, I found, that they want to think that we can't care for ourselves, but then refuse to care for us. It's like, which one is it? Can we do this all ourselves or can't we? It's like, they want to pretend like we're little kids, but at the same time, they don't want to do anything about it. I was just wondering, how do you think our brains operate? Particularly with autism or in general? Cause, man, well, I don't think with autism. <laughs> Depends on the question that's asked. Like in general, my mind will do this. So go directly to this point because I see what the solution is and we can get it fixed. What I do for my job is tech support. 
So it's like, I know what the problem is. Let's do this, 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 this. And sometimes I miss a lot of the other things they want me to do because of my job, but I get results. But when it's a question like you ask, like our mind, I see all of the points. So when I see all the points, I'm like, well, I got to consider this. I got to consider that. I got to see it's like a shotgun blast and I have to go through every little ebble, every little bead. The way you think of it maybe is you are a person who hates probably the word vague. Go yes. to the shelf. What shelf I, are you talking about? So, yeah, I've been blessed with the ability to sort of understand in general what some vagities may mean. I found out that that was only with people I was close to because I was learning based off of them. But even then, it causes all kinds of communication errors. But then when I'm out in the world in a job or with dating, I have absolutely no idea. And when I was married, because I'm divorced now, unfortunately, I was with a, a lovely Mexican woman who was from Mexico and moved over here as a kid. And their family speaks Spanish. And when I thought I could navigate the world pretty well, when I was put in an environment where people spoke the language I didn't, and they wanted me to attempt to try to speak their language or try to do something back and forth, or they would speak to me in broken English, I was like a statue. My brain just shut down. I had nothing to go on. I didn't realize how important the language I spoke was. Once you took me out of that, I was just useless. I didn't know how to react to anything. So I just kind of stood in the corner. <laughs> uh, you guys have fun. I'm going to try to just process this. It's so interesting how that works, how none of the, uh, what do you call it? Like the fences. It's a weird word to use, but like things that I've built up, these self-checks that I've had in my brain to use just completely went out the window. It's a hard thing to figure out processing, even when I'm comfortable sometimes. I mean, I am thrilled at these interviews and expos. Uh, put me on a big place with a college campus or at a concert good luck with that and that's the interesting thing about me is i found at least at one point in time i could blend in real well with the crowd but i was masking real well i don't really have that ability anymore i've since lost it i've lost quite a few skills due to skill regression which is something that can happen due to burnout over time with autistic people i liked concerts i've been to a few they were fine i was part of theater so i was on stage singing dancing oh god i hated that I, hate, I could do choreography but i hated dancing and acting being in front of a crowd was nothing it didn't matter i was also really good at pub speaking which is weird i sound like i'm good at all the things that stereotypical autists would not be good at but here's the thing performing is not communicating there's a difference when you're performing even when you're doing a speech or you're doing a back and forth i mean yes it is communication but that's not a conversation but it, it's staff the deck is stacked towards me. So even if I'm asking someone from the audience, they're coming at it from a position where I'm the one in power and they're offset because there's a whole communication dynamic that takes place. I also studied communication at the short time I was in college. So what advice would you give to someone who just learned they had autism? I think knowing some things can help. There is this thing. Not everybody is malicious or trying to hurt you, but there is this thing that they discovered that people with autism don't really experience uncanny bell. And I swear I'm getting to a point here. Whereas people will like, they'll see bad CG. They're like, oh, that's so weird. It makes me feel bad. We see it and we're just like, oh, that was not good. That was bad CG. It doesn't hurt us where they feel an actual, I guess it's pain and uneasiness. And that comes from something way back when that we would start looking at stuff that wasn't human. Neurotypical people experience that with autistic people. They're able to see us by sight. When I found that out, it explains so much to me in this world, just like getting my diagnosis did. It was like people literally are treating you different, whether they know it or not. That doesn't mean that they're bad people, but it also means that they 
could be. You have to be your the best advocate you can be for yourself. And if you're not able to do that due to some of the things with autism or due to some things with other disorders or whatever, then you need to get somebody who can be your advocate, somebody who's going to fight for you, somebody who knows you really well, whether that is a spouse, whether that is a mother, father, a brother, a sister, a friend. People should just do this in general. But if you don't, you can get taken advantage of very easily. Not just at work, but in other things. And it's the it's higher in college. I'll be honest. I mean, there have been points like I just got back from my first week when not when this airs, but on today's day when this is recording, I literally was a nervous wreck because I was afraid someone was going to take advantage of me. But I had these advocates who were adult and were genuine good people because they were the staff and they helped me a lot. And I have one right now who comes to check and we literally work on who's taking advantage of you and who's not. You know, it's weird. When I was in college, I didn't really have that feeling. Oh, so here's enough fun. So that uncanny valley thing, they view us as threats. So they may not understand why they view us as threats. And that can cause some not so fun interaction. And I, I think understanding that, it tells you that it's not people's fault, but it can be. Because once you explain that to them, it's the difference between a good person and a bad person. The good person, if they do something wrong and they find out about it, they don't do that again, at least not purposefully, and they try to better themselves, not better them. Whereas a bad person will just not care. But also that different side of the coin, if you do something that you didn't realize was wrong because of the spectrum and they tell you it's on you to go, oh, and introspect. Where that other person comes in that that's advocating for you, they can come in and be like, hey, no, you didn't do something wrong because you're autistic. That person's manipulating you. And this manipulation can come from all sorts. It can come from educators. It can come from friends. It can come spouses it can be manipulation on everything it can be sexual it's given me a sense to sort of read people this isn't to scare it's to say you need to understand a bunch of little things and i know some of us have a hyper individuality where we try to do everything on our own even though we know we can't and sometimes that comes from abuse sometimes that comes just from us trying to be on our own there's like a pda profile autists or a lot like this but what we have to understand it's very hard for me is if there are people out there who can help you whether monetarily whether this or that or whatever use them that's what they're for and use doesn't mean to use and abuse like use and throw away i mean like if it's your mother who's like always come to me for the this go to them because you literally can't do it on your own if you know you can't do something on your own don't do it on your own you'll get hurt badly you can get killed a blind person doesn't just walk out in the middle of the street they were taught we're taught as be very individualistic it can be a problem and we need to reach out and i think the reason why is Sometimes, not saying everyone, but sometimes they feel embarrassed. It goes back to that masking because you can order pizza really well, but they be able to order pizza. Try again. The thing is, uh, and it does have an embarrassment, that comes from what we're taught. Uh, America is this weird society where it's like everybody pulls themselves up by their bootstraps, blah, 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 blah. And you have to get over that embarrassment because you have to remember it is survival. Because living life on the spectrum is living a life of abuse. Not everyone has great parents. Not everyone has parents who are capable of understanding. I grew up in a divided house. I didn't know I was autistic until I was 17. And even after I found that out, one side didn't believe it and still doesn't believe it and doesn't care. While the other side is doing their best to understand and help. When you have one that's saying it's all your fault and you're lazy and you're this or that, blah, blah, blah. And the other one that's actually trying to help you. Even though there's someone that is trying to help you, you're still having one half of you. That literally makes up half of you. Each parent makes up a half, right? Telling you that it's all your fault. That hurts. So you build up these barriers to get through abuse. And then you'll be abused by these systems and work. Even if it's 
non-intentional. And abused by your own mind. Yeah. I mean, you'll think it sometimes. Like, you'll think you're worthless. You're a piece of crap. I mean, you will think that to yourself. Like, I still think that some days, and it's not going away. I try to throw it away, but it just keeps coming out of that garbage can. Well, the easiest way is to just wrestle with it. Instead of throwing it away, sometimes you have to introspect, and you have to go, why am I not worthless? And then you get to go, well, everybody's different. Maybe I'm not supposed to be like, like this. If you're not worthless. You have a pretty successful show, just saying. And you're out there helping people. Let's take you, right? In my view, you're pretty successful. You're out there. You're helping people. You're living a pretty good dream. I don't know your personal life or everything. I'm talking about base level. But then you're hurting. And you're probably thinking, I shouldn't hurt. I don't deserve to hurt because of this, this, this. But don't do that. Suffering is suffering. If you're hurting, it doesn't matter how high you know, on the mountain you are or the below. It doesn't mean that you're not hurting. Just because someone else is hurting worse doesn't mean that you're not hurting. doesn't mean you're not hurting just as bad. It means the hurt is different. And when it comes to our actual nervous system, your nervous system does not care where that hurt is from. It does not break it down. You know, you can get PTSD from something happening at school. Not a shooting. I just mean regular stuff at school. That can happen. Whereas someone can go to war and not get any PTSD. But then they get in a car crash and now they have PTSD. It makes sense because there was a break. Your nervous system said enough. Exactly. It's a simple formula. Hurt plus hurt equals help. It doesn't seem hard. It seems like an easy math problem. But then if you're not willing to add it, you're screwed. That's why I talk about those add. Even if there's anything you go into that you're unsure of, you need an advocate. I got to a place where I was just, I didn't know what questions to ask and everything. I was basically broken down. I was in the lowest of the burnout, and I had to get my mom to go to doctor's appointment just so she could sit there and just stare at me. And it turns out I was doing fine and everything. When she was there, it gave me a level of comfort. But let's say I wasn't able to say anything. Let's say I wasn't able to answer the questions or give the doctor what they needed. My mom would ask the question for me or would ask me a question in a way I could understand her or prod me to get me to go somewhere. Or she would talk about what she experienced and saw me doing and would help me the best they could because I couldn't do it by myself. And it doesn't mean you're broken. Actually, it's true that you are broke. That's not a bad thing. Things break. What does that mean when you're broken? It means something broke, but it can be built. The resources aren't so great. The resources seem like it's an embarrassment. I mean, ABA therapy, I mean, I would never down ABA. Oh, God. I'll fight against ABA because it's been compared to torture and conversion therapy, and that's not good. And the ABA therapy is, it's not about making us better. It's basically making us comfortable for neurotypical. What should be happening is it, we should be helping us with our symptoms. And so that ABA therapy is trying to get rid of the autistic part and not the other things that come with it. It's trying to get you to hide. It's actually teaching you to mask. That's not a good thing. Masking can bring, as for someone who's had it, psychosis. It can cause you to break down and lose your mind. And a lot of these therapies and even stuff in the DSM-5, they're not written from our perspective. And that's another thing we need to understand that can help you, is if you're reading something from a doctor that makes you feel terrible, well, let me tell you, that doctor is probably just some white dude in the 60s who doesn't know anything. And I mean that literally. Because autism isn't something you can dissect. And a lot of times it's based on their own bias and their opinion. And they're not asking autistic people. Until recently, they didn't think that what we had to say was worth anything because they all thought we were basically children in adult bodies. That's not true. It's not true. Now we're getting more and more resources created by us for us. And the only bad things because of autism are by the people who hurt us. Why are we blaming ourselves when someone hurts us? I do want to talk to you more about your YouTube channel. So what made you decide you want to start a YouTube channel? Yeah, that's a bit more upbeat thing than what we've been talking about. So in 2015, I decided, I was like, hey, this Let's Play and stuff looks pretty cool. I wonder if I can do that. I've always wanted a creative outlet. 
and I couldn't really figure out a way. But I realized that, hey, when I play video games a lot, I either have an eternal monologue or I'll talk out loud just because it's easier. Yeah, it sounds weird, but I don't care. Um, and no, I, hey, don't worry. I do a lot of talking out loud, too. I, sometimes I'll wander around my own yard and be like, okay, so this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. So no weirdness there. I do it, too. And I proudly okay. admit it. It's, it's a way to process what's going on in your head. But I would do that while video games. And sometimes I'd make jokes to myself or act like characters. Whatever was bouncing around in my head, I would just speak it out loud to myself. And I was like, hey, that's pretty much what Let's Players are doing. What if I did this? Through trial and error, little by little, since 2015, I've gotten to where I am now in 2023. And I've basically figured it out. The problem is, is getting people to watch. That's always hard. You're at the mercy of the algorithm. If you don't have the money to promote yourself or get lucky, then you're just kind of just, kind of just there. But I still do it. You know, sometimes there'll be hiatuses because of, oh, hey, I can't do it right now because I don't have a place to live. That's happened. Or there's no internet. But then I keep coming back. I wasn't able to stream for the longest while until coming back in recent months because I didn't have the internet to do so. But I was still uploading content regularly because I could upload it and then let it sit there and upload however long it needed. But streaming was difficult. I also had a podcast, but I haven't done that in months because it was just me and talking to myself. It took more energy than I felt it was worth. I felt depressed doing it. It was weird. I used to have people I did it with and then bad things happen. I would love to revive it someday once I have a crew to do it with. But right now, streaming and making gaming content is much better. It's much easier. Probably because I'm also playing a video game that I want to play. And uh, <laughs> that's that always helps. I could see that one. And then writing is, is also fun. I've been writing off and on forever, but I didn't publish my first book until 2020. I currently can't get it anymore, but it was a memoir. Okay, well, let's memoir. go into that book. So when did you decide to write On My Mind, The Ramblings of an Autistic Cowboy? That was a memoir I wrote mainly to process a lot of the trauma that I've been through and to process my life. I wrote it in like a month. I was like recently unemployed and I just think of 35,000 words. The second book was took a lot longer to write because it's fiction. I also do this thing where I handwrite before I type it, and that has probably doubled the time to uh, publish anything. But I found that it was easier because I was able to do it at my job. But also, I had an easier time writing really rough drafts of a story and getting a basic outline and saying to myself, hey, if this doesn't make sense right now, when I go back and rewrite it, retype it, then it'll make sense. The problem is when I found rewriting so much more difficult and strenuous than writing the first time because it's like I'd sit down I'd have my journal here and my keyboard here and the screen there it's like I don't want to do this <laughs> just took forever finally I published the second book this one here when blood runs cold is that viable this is viable because I'm currently writing the sequel to it wouldn't say it's any good but it's actually has an interesting story so this was supposed to be a book that was about four times longer than it currently is but I got to a point writing the first part of it where I was running into a bit of a, not necessarily writer's block, but it was more of a motivation. I couldn't push myself to write it. So this was supposed to be part one of this much longer book. And I was like, hey, part one is in, and it was going to be like part one, part two, part three in this massive book. But I was like, part one's ended as a pretty solid ending. What if I just publish what I have? And that will light the fire underneath me to finish the second book. So I published this. And I'm currently writing, I have about 40,000 words written of the second book and still have much more to write. But that gave me a whole new lease on writing the second book. And it let me flesh out the characters more and do that because once something was put out there and done, I was able to basically forget about it. And I was able to close that door and be like, all right, I know that book's not very good because it's technically unfinished. So now I'm going to 
going to finish it. And I feel what I have now is a hundred times better than that first book. I think you can read it and it'd be fine. I had some people tell me that they liked it a whole lot. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And they're excited about the sequel. I haven't really made any money from it, but it's to eventually get there. Right. Divided but, Conquering, um, I like that. You're smart, th smarter on that one, because my problem is if I write, I forgot to get it done. Like, otherwise, the whole day I am like, stressing about it so i tip invisible cowboy hat to you for divine and conquering a lot better than me it's when you make a piece of art you're always worried about the art it's like painting it can always get better if you get stuck on that and you're like this is imperfect this is imperfect this is perfect but you'll never get done so i said screw it i'm gonna publish what i have knowing it's not perfect knowing that's far from perfect and that's going to help me make the next one better so far it has there has to be acceptable loss when it comes to art because it's never going to be what you have in your head so you have you have to have some acceptable loss on that sometimes you have to cut stuff free and i did and then eventually when the whole thing's written you'll be able to put it all together and be like oh this makes more sense it makes more sense why it ended this way this happened all that yeah i'll have to learn acceptable loss because i do not like that man I it's difficult acceptable loss because I'm like, well, no, this is perfect. Zip it. <laughs> well, acceptable loss in terms of art, if you have to. There is no acceptable loss in terms of people. My thing is, is I have things in my head that I can't write because I physically don't know how to describe them. Oh, no, I, I get that. I do the same thing. It's like, uh, there's a trunk to it. That's it I can think but of. I, I can't write it, but I can say it. So it's like, why can't I write and try to do this? And I've had to do things like I record something. If I could just talk a book, it'd be great. Probably the best book ever written. But the, the problem is actually writing. Writing comes easy to me. It's just certain parts of it that are very difficult. Here's a fun thing about being autistic. You find out that we're not the problem. We're not the people with communication problems. We communicate great. It's everyone else. They just say stuff and assume that people know what they're talking about. That is the craziest. I still don't get it. And it's in everything. It's in work. It's in dating. It's in life. They will say things and assume that you know the 100-point plan that's in their head. And it's like, why would I know that? I just met you. I have no idea what you're thinking. Why would I just assume all these grandiose things about you off of one word that you sang without the cuff? That is stupid. It makes you people are insane. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Because I'm like thinking... Well, how am I supposed to know this with just one word? I don't know you 100% yet. It's going to take time for me to know this. Well, a lot of it is 100% lie. These people are lying to each other and they're just accepting it and they're faking it till they make it. And I'm like, this is how neurotypical people act. And this is, and we don't do that. I wonder if the way we think isn't the problem with autism. It's the other things like the executive dysfunctions. Those are legitimate problems that I wish I could get rid of. So the way I think, I don't need to get rid of that. I would love to get rid of the way neurotypical people say because it's the most asinine thing. They just lie. I hate lying. I will only lie if I feel like I'm backed up in a corner and I need to get out fast. It's like it's a defense mechanism. And I hate it. I'll feel guilty. They just won't tell you saying, you know, this is we do this thing. Let me Bad ask person. you this. Do you find that a lot in social situations? Like I call it low smoke. That's what I call it, where they're faking the niceness because they either A, feel pity for you, or B, they don't want to hurt your feelings. I hate that. Oh, me too. I'm like, just hurt my feelings. Well, it's also because I can tell when they're hurting my feelings. And the worst part is when I don't, and I think that they do care, and you find out that they don't, and that hurts. You don't have to hurt someone's feelings by telling the truth. If I just tell you I don't like the way you dress, I can be like, I don't like this outfit doesn't mean that it looks bad. It means that I don't like this. There is a way to say things without hurting people. Now, if they've offended you, that's different. But like, I've worked many jobs that deal with customer service. In fact, my current job is customer service. And people always say, I'm so nice, blah, 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 blah. And when they teach that to you, they basically teach you to lie. And I'm like, 
I'm not lying to people. And they're like, you should probably use more niceties and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I always get points taken off. But I, I can also your YouTube channel for a minute. I just want to know this. Would you consider your YouTube channel thera- therapeutic for you? If so, how? Yes. It's very therapeutic. I like doing it. It feels good. That feels good about knowing, hey, someone might enjoy this. And if they do, great. There's something feels good in having an audience, no matter how small, that may keep coming back. My dream is to have a much bigger audience, not just so I can pay bills and do this for a living, but also because I can entertain and make people feel good on a much higher scale. Now, folks, we'll be right back in here and ad from the Doug Flutie Jr. Autism Foundation. So let's get to it. At the Doug Flutie Autism Foundation in Massachusetts, people are receiving hope. The organization was established in 1998 by Doug Flutie, former quarterback for Boston College and the NFL, and his wife, Lori, in the memory of their son, Dougie, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. The goal of the Flutie Foundation is to improve the quality of life for those with autism and their families. The biggest action they like to do is give grants and host their annual Stars on the Spectrum golf event. Our goal is to offer chances for physical and social activity outside of work for school, a path for education or employment during the day, and the resources needed to always feel safe, supported, and informed, the Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation says. Make sure to visit them on their website, www.flutiefoundation.org. That's www.flutiefoundation.org. Or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or even YouTube to see all the stars they have to offer. And you never know, you might be able to meet one of their stars if you are so kind they allow you to do so. Finally, if this was a testimony, this would be my testimony for the Doug Jr. Autism Foundation. All right, folks, we're back, and you might meet Doug Flutie there. You never know. So you also went to college, Colby. So when did you decide to go to college? Well, I didn't really decide to go to college. I was kind of pushed to it. I didn't really want to go. I'm glad I went, though, but I didn't do very well. I loved the theater. I loved doing that. I loved the acting. I liked everybody there, but I didn't really like going to college. I ended up having like a pretty severe breakdown during it. I wasn't really prepared for it, but I, during that time is when I got engaged because I met my ex-wife in the theater, and I don't regret that. That was that was good. I think that there was a good decision. I originally was going to be in the National Guard, but autism kind of put a kink in that. And then I'm grateful that that didn't happen because world events changed very drastically. I wanted to do things more on the homeland, mainly for hurricanes, tornadoes, and natural disasters, because those happen multiple times a year, and those people need help. But I don't care about people overseas. And that's not that. It's just you don't know what's going to happen when you get set to a war somewhere else. You don't really don't know what side you're going to be on. And you may not even be helping people. Whereas when the tornado shows up and it destroys a town and I get sent in to help those people, I'm helping people. You can see it. And those people need the help. During that time, well, a little bit after that time, I was out of college. Hurricane Harvey hit. The National Guard got stationed in Brenham, where I was at, because it was like the only place that wasn't completely covered water in East Texas. And, uh, seedling or want to go to college because I did, hated school. You're one of those guys who wanted to do work. Not really. It was, I have a problem with public education. <laughs> nope. Okay. Um, Fair enough. I'll give you that one. Did you get I, it was, I was always big. So there were some, it was kind of weird because I was a big guy. Well, I was a lineman in middle school, but I was built like a lineman in football. Still am. So people to come up and challenge me, that was a mistake. I always told people, I wouldn't fight you, but if you try to fight me, I'm going to finish that. Let's not do this. You're like Rip from Yellowstone. Don't do that. Yeah, let's not do that. And wasn't really fitting in. I hated having to go to something because I was told to. It's like I already knew English. I already knew math. I already knew history. You know, I did 
all of this in high school, I was relearning stuff. And I'm like, why can't I do the stuff for my major? Why can't I do the stuff that I'm interested in? I'm paying to go here. I don't have a problem with learning or higher learning or higher education, but the system is not built for higher education. The system is built to get you a job. Higher education is supposed to be for higher education. I learn new things every day. People ask me, how do you know all this stuff? How do you do that? It's like I research, I do stuff, I learn. I want to know how things work. I'm intelligent, so I try to stay intelligent to learn how the world works so that I'm not left behind. Sometimes college doesn't teach you everything. Sometimes I've heard from one of my previous guests, Buff Badwell, from the listeners, C237 Buff Up or Buff Badwell, but he stated he learned a lot more under his parents' roof than in college. He learned how to pay the bills, how to cook a meal. I've always known how to cook. Grew up in a small town, Texas, with grandmother, so then my mom, and then my dad who barbecues, and then uncle. It's having the energy to cook. It's different. <laughs> so you also said, you mean through this podcast, you love acting in theater. So what do you find fascinating in particular about the acting and the theater? And I'll just tell you what I do because I find it fascinating too. It's playing someone who I would want to be in real life. I w- wouldn't say that. Uh, I played a lot of not great people. Well, some good people though I would want to be, like playing playing these baby faces of pro wrestling, the good guys, essentially. That's hard to put in a word. I like telling the story, performing and showing the most people because all art is expressed and acting is a way to show the feelings of other people to an audience. So if you're doing a biopic, you're showing all of these things that happen to a real person, people. But then in fiction, you're trying to relay what happened and show how these people felt in a moment, these fictional people felt in a moment to an audience. And the more convincing that is, the more real it is. Well, movies and video games taught me a lot about how to deal with emotions in the real world and how to deal with people. And then the acting, I just came naturally because of that. I find gaming more interesting than film because that is an actual interaction. You're in, you have to, in order to play a game, to experience a story, it's not being something that's done in front of you. You have to do it. You have to push the stick to go. You have to. That's why I love the story games with mission. I'm a, a- a young age, playing Disney Infinity. I love that. I mean, I'm not a Disney guy, but I'm video game guy likes to do missions. You give me the task. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Let's go. Or I know one. I bet you'll like this one because you're a cowboy. Red Dead Redemption. And for the listeners, C215 Autistic Redemption. I did a full episode on that. You're more happy to check that out, one out. But in all seriousness, it was definitely a cowboy, but it gave you missions. Like if it told you, hey, go clean out the fire. Okay. Well, that is fun. But in the story aspect in games, you have you can't turn away from it. In a horror game or a horror movie, something scary happens, you can close your eyes, you can turn away. In a game, you have to move forward. You have to experience that horror. Otherwise, you're not going to... Also, those things are happening to other people. They're not happening to the audience. The audience is watching it, whereas in the game, the audience is the person that's happening to. When something is chasing a character, it's chasing you. If you don't do anything, they die. So in a sense, you die. Yeah, like, think about it in Red Dead Redemption, the wild animals, right? Did you ever get attacked by a wild animal in Red Dead Redemption? Okay. A lot. Oh, I did too. I got hit by the bears a lot. It wasn't the coyotes. It was the stupid bears. Yeah. You just got me. Cougars would get me a lot because they'd sneak up on me. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't put snakes in there. There are snakes in, uh, I think there are snakes in Red Dead Redemption 2. I only have the first one. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 has like one of the best stories ever written. It's so good. I, I want to uh, play it, but I don't have the console to play it. It might be my favorite Western, period. Are they going to do a Red Dead Redemption 3 sometime? I'm hoping they do, man. Oh, probably. Probably, man. As much money as that game made. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what. They make a Red Dead Redemption 3. Let's do a stream together. Sure, why not? Why not? What the heck? We 
you have your 20 years. Big time guess, right? In 20 years when they decide to make it, because I mean, we still haven't gotten GTA 6. That yeah. game came out 2013. It was GTA 5. It's been 10 years. There were a couple things in your other boat that you did show that I like. So you stated context flies over your head. What did you mean when you stated context flies over your head? So when you're talking to a person, even through video, but more so in real life, you can see the mood. You can hear the inflection in their voice, hand gestures, their eyes, everything. You usually know the context of a conversation or you can feel it. When something is written, you don't have that. The reason it's easier to write a book than it is to text, I mean, I text all the time, but sometimes things can get lost or especially if it's like a group chat, like something on Discord, where I sometimes get myself in trouble because I don't understand all the unspoken rules. When you write a book, you know the context because you're the author and you get to fill all that in and tell people what's going on. When you're just having a conversation over text and there's multiple people chatting in a group chat, you don't have that. So you might say something that upsets someone because you didn't know anything. But you also don't get a feel of the room because you're not actually in a room. You don't see the people. You don't see their body through the twitches and movements. If I get dogpiled on in text, if people are upset, it's harder to back up and be like, all right, wait, wait, this is what I meant. It's hard to explain what you meant mainly because if it's a long explanation you have to sit there and type it all out and then by that time the conversation's moved on that's odd though i find that very interesting because we'll have to agree to disagree because for me personally virtual is so much better because doing this i feel like i have to think quick on my feet next statement next statement next statement i can't do that in five seconds I literally had to read the message, analyze, and be like, okay, so he meant this, he meant this, he meant this, do, 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 do. It takes me 10 minutes to look at what something actually meant. I'm currently working at a call center, but I was on the social media team for a bit, and that was much easier because it's direct. It's like, you don't really have to worry about context. It's like, they're coming to you with a problem. Your job is to solve that problem. So I didn't have to worry about people yelling or any of that. But in terms of conversation, talking is much easier for me. All autistic people are different. Some have find talking easier like me. Some find text easier. Some neither is easier because our communication skills are different. But I find that the talking and listening and all that is much easier, especially with dealing with other people and neurotypicals because they do that same thing where they just assume you're supposed to know things. In text, that's much harder to get. Broadness in text is much more broad. And I bet you hate, like, the message where they say, okay, it depends. I'll do that sometimes where I just won't respond to things because I didn't think it needed a response. I've had to really get out of that habit because people think I'm ignoring them. And I'm like, no, you made a statement. There was finality to it. I just need clarification, like, okay, listen, if that's going to be the way it is, that's fine. But just let me know that if I don't text, it's not the fact that I'm ignoring you. It's just you made your statement. Because some people, it goes back to that blowing smoke up, or blowing smoke. But some aren't, and it's just the final statement. You also mentioned something that I don't show with as much anymore, but used to. Sensory overloads. And for the listeners, C123, sensitive feelings. Can you do your best to describe what a sensory overload looks like for the autistic cowboy? Well, I don't know what it looks like, because I've never had to experience it from that side. I've always been the one experiencing it. And sometimes, okay, well, are there triggers that you know, like if someone's yelling? Example, is that a trigger for you? You know, it's difficult to say what the exact triggers are. Because I'm also dealing with CPTSD, and that has triggers, and I haven't really been able to nail down what the exact triggers are. There's 
oddly enough, vaguity to it. I do know that when things aren't in control, loud noises, but mainly if there's too much information to process. Whereas if I'm controlling the loudness and I could turn it up and down, then I'm fine. But what causes me to have the breakdown and the sensory overload, it's hard to figure out. I know how it feels. It's like being lit on fire and not being able to do anything about it. But it's sometimes I'll get migraines and I won't know what causes it. I'm trying, I'm not thinking maybe it's blood sugar. So I'll eat a bunch of food and it still doesn't go away. I'm like, well, okay, maybe it was a blood sugar. Same thing with sensory overload is I know my senses have been overloaded. It happens when he gets to a tipping point. And I don't know what tips. When I worked construction, I grew up with my dad owns a plumbing company. So I grew up doing commercial construction. That gets bothered, but arguing can't, yelling can't. I understand because... I have ADHD, and sometimes I wonder, like, am I doing this because of the ADHD or the autism? I have that as well. I heard you also like Star Wars. Why did you get into Star Wars? As a little kid, came out in 99, and of course we had the old tapes. And in the games, I think, uh, was it Shadows of the Empire on the N60? I really got attached to that franchise. It was more so the game side of it. I think Star Wars is best outside of the movies. The movies is just, there are so many, not all the stuff outside of it's good, but a lot of their best stories are outside of the movies. Like Jedi Knight, or Jedi Outcast, I think is one of the best stories. It has like the best relationship depicted in Star Wars. Something they're really weird about. They never really like going into relationship, but then Kyle and Jan are husband and wife. <laughs> smugglers they have the best relationship with the entire universe which is strange i want to get to know more about this video game so is there a particular video game that got you into video gaming if so what is that video game please i was kind of attached from video gaming like almost from birth but i guess i'd have to get it Super Mario in 64 that's the one i have the most memories of early in my childhood but i played a lot on that system Spider-Man 64. I had several versions of that game. Did you do any like the old school arcade games like Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Galaga? Oh yeah, Miss Pac-Man, Galaga. I've played a lot of those old arcade games and newer ones. Mario, however, is my favorite character in video games. Can't go wrong with Mario. Mario's pretty cool, but I'm weird. I like the villains a lot too, so I like Bowser. Bowser's evil, but there's something about him that's likable, in my opinion, at least. It's kind of weird because he's not like completely evil, because especially compared to some of the other Mario villains, sometimes they team up. But he's an interesting character. Now, folks, we'll be right back. We're in your app from the Rock 96.1 radio station, so let's get to it. We want to thank 96.1 The Query, especially David and Dan Hayes, for being a gold sponsor for our summer fest. 96.1 residents in Bloomington, Indiana, and like Autism Rocks Rolls, they rock and roll too. Visit their website at rock961fn.com to hear them out. And when they're on the station, be sure to listen to them live on their website or catch them on the radio in your car. If you like Kiss, Ween, 80s Rock for ZZ Top. I think you have found your station. 96.1 also supports our veterans, so you should support them too. Visit 96.1. All right, folks, we're back, and you'll definitely to this radio station. So now, Colby, I got now. I've heard you got like a photography deal going around. So what got you into photography? Just a habit of mine. Um, I don't really know. I don't know if it's like a camp I went to, some Christian camp I went to when I was a kid, because that's just something everybody got forced into at one point. And they had a photography thing. You had to choose from these classes you went to while you were at camp, just something to do. And there was a photography one, and I was like, interesting, let's do that. And I kind of latched onto it. I, I don't really have any cameras, because cameras are but what I did do is I based my phone and Pro, because I had the best camera, and I had a better pixel user for Sista 2, 
and every now and then I try to make use of it. It's difficult, and I wish I had like all the camera stuff. I think it has to do with my fascination film and acting, because I really looked at to film cameras things like that, which are also crazy expensive. And then storm chasing, storm chasing, mainly tornadoes, tornado chasing when I was a young kid. And to do that, you have to have stuff to record, camcorders and all that. And my mom, for some reason, had a lot of different camcorders and was always doing home movies and stuff in the late 90s. All kinds of stuff with my brother and sister when they were little. And then me, she also had different types of Polaroid cameras. I really like, you know, the instant camera. There was just enough of them around, I guess, that I kind of latched onto it. And I like messing with light color. So would you consider cameras a special interest of yours? Well, about cameras themselves, I would say photography is a special interest. I have an eye for it. Like I can see something and be like, oh, that's pretty. That would make a nice picture. That's kind of what I think of when I see it. And then I have to mess with my camera on my phone in order to make it look right. The colors and the contrast. Even right now on the webcam, it's like, this lighting's terrible and this and that, but not a whole lot you can do is it. So it's fine. I would make the deal with acceptable loss and how the webcam looks. <laughs> Either a Nikon or a Sony actual camera on a mount on like wider lens. It's weird because I don't know a whole lot about the cameras themselves. I know some, maybe more than the average person, but I know more about taking the picture and also taking the film in the way it looks. When I see something, I see a beauty in it that might be lost to the average person. I'm like, if you just tilt, tilted it like this or just tinted it or something like that, it could make an incredible. And I can see all that process in my head. So we're just going to wrap it up here. And these are just yeah. fun. So my first question is, what is your paradise meal or favorite food? And why is it your favorite? When I get asked this, thanks. I, I feel rating something is weird. I know when something's not on that list and I know when Things not good, but it's like, what is better than this? Or not necessarily what is better, but what is the best? That's hard. I have a lot of safe foods, but it's hard for me to think what my favorite one is. Okay, name the safe foods then. Brisket. My man, right there. Oh, are you? You're like your. I thought so. Does East Texas make some of the best briskets? Because I'm gonna have to go to East Texas and try some. Texas in general makes some of the best brisket. I have a lot of different types of it, uh, depending on where you are: east, north, south, west, central. I would. Probably stated that Central or South is going to have the, the better. You're getting a lot of more of that Mexican tradition in there, which is where barbecue comes from, at least in the standard American barbecue. But you can get some good stuff in East because in Houston, it used to have the largest Southeast Asian population in the United States of America. But it also has a giant Mexican population and it has a Cajun population. Right there next to Louisiana. I'm not the biggest on seafood, but they definitely got that down there if you like it in Vietnamese, they know how to make some great stuff, so they're putting it together with Cajun. It's really good. I think there's some Korean down there. I know it's mainly Vietnamese, but they got a lot. I recently discovered something great. I'd never even thought about it before. So there are a lot of these restaurants. They're everywhere, but I noticed a lot of them in Houston because of uh, Houston has one of the higher Muslim populations in Texas. But Houston's also the fourth largest city in America, so it's got the highest population, everything, in Texas. There's this restaurant called the Whole Law Brothers. They do everything at Halal, which is slightly kosher in Islam. And one of the things is there's no pork. Well, I was looking on there, and I was like, you know, that guy's good food. So I was looking, it's like, bacon? Y'all can't have bacon? What's this? And they're like, that's brisket bacon. I said, excuse me? But yeah, it's brisket bacon made from beef. Now, what's been your favorite vacation you've ever taken? And why did you enjoy that vacation very much? I haven't really taken a vacation, so I don't know. 
My final question is, are there any good memories anyone tell our viewers about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? So before you answer, I want like a sentimental memory that just made you feel good inside and forgot the world was cruel. And a funny memory that made you fall on the floor laughing. You had to wife, to be with your gaming. Your call, I want to answer it, dude. Well, there was this one we were eating ribs at a family event. And my uncle was just piling them away. Just bone plates and everything. He goes, man, I, I don't think I could eat even one more rib. And we're all just sitting there hanging out in the kitchen. Well, maybe one he reaches and grabs one, and as he pulls it to his mouth, his chair splinters. We're laughing. We thought it was the funniest thing in the world. We still paying. Well, Colby, I think that's all. Is there anything you'd like to say before we go? Well, I would say that if any of the viewers would like to check me out, they want to support other autistic voices, I'm one of them. <laughs> all right. I thank you for having me on. I truly thank you. for this episode please tune in for another episode coming very soon i hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble thank you very much mm -hmm.